Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we'll discuss the Trump administration's final regulatory tally and the Biden administration's recent regulatory action with AAF Director of Regulatory Policy, Dan Bosch. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kyle. How have you uh, been over the last couple of days? Good. We got a little snow here in D.C., so it's been nice to take the dog out and run around in the snow. Yeah, I'm sure she's enjoying it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's jump right into things. You've written recently about both the Trump administration's uh, final regulatory tally and, of course, um, the new Biden administration's recent regulatory action, a lot of those day one actions, if you will. Um, I want to talk about both of those, but let's start with the more recent news. The Biden administration has already made a number of regulatory changes, um, some expected and some surprising, at least one surprising. Uh, What were the expected things uh, that they did? Yeah, well, we knew going in that they were going to get rid of the Trump administration's regulatory budget, which was the policy that set caps on the cost of agencies' regulations. So while that policy was pretty effective in limiting new regulatory costs, critics, which include President Biden, felt that it hamstrung agencies from being able to issue new regulations. Um, It didn't really do that, in my opinion, because agencies in the Trump administration could issue new regulations regardless, as long as they found existing regulations to get rid of. The regulatory budget is now over, um, and this was part of an executive order aimed at getting rid of many of the Trump administration's regulatory reforms, including a couple of transparency reforms around guidance documents. So, I mean, I I see why um, they would want to revoke the regulatory budget. I mean, you outlined some of their reasoning there. Um, they also, you know, it was a Republican administration that that put it in. But why undo those transparency measures? Yeah, I think it's largely political. And I think it also goes back to this, in my view anyway, a misperception that these policies limited agencies' ability to act or issue or enforce regulations. So the Biden administration promised to use the full weight of the federal government to address things like climate change and the pandemic. And so they basically have this view that any policies that might limit agencies' ability to act is problematic. Um, I have to be honest, I don't understand how requiring agencies to post all their guidance documents in one website is problematic or hinders the government's ability to react, but that was the decision they've made. I mean, what are the practical implications of all this, the latest regulatory stuff from the Biden administration? Yeah, I think the writing on the wall is pretty clear. Um, We can expect more new regulation. And unfortunately, there's going to be a lot less emphasis on getting rid of regulations that are no longer necessary that are already on the books. Gotcha. President Biden also signed a more surprising memorandum. Um, You noted in your your latest piece that this was unexpected to at least us. Can you walk us through uh, this memorandum? Sure. So the memo directs the uh, Office of Management and Budget to work with agencies to develop recommendations for changing how OMB's Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA, reviews regulations. And so included in this is rewriting the standard practices for how to review benefit cost analyses from agencies so that they fully account for regulatory benefits that are difficult or impossible to quantify and to make sure that OIRA's review does not, quote, have harmful anti-regulatory or deregulatory effects. Now, there's no mention of costs that are equally difficult to account for. 
they're basically changing this from like a cost to uh, a cost benefit equal to just more of a uh, a benefit situation. Yeah, I mean, th that's essentially what they're getting at. They're not going to get rid of the cost side of the equation completely, but it's clear that their focus is less on making sure we have a balanced look at the costs and benefits to how can we, you know, determine new ways of, of quantifying benefits that might be unquantifiable so that we can justify new regulatory burdens. Mm -hmm. I mean, what kind of changes do you anticipate they could make with all this? Are there obvious problems with looking um, look that they are looking to address here? Well, it's pretty clear they want OIRA to be more of an advocate for new regulation than an impartial analyzer of whether an agency's benefit cost analyses are done correctly, which is what its historical role has been. So in my view, OIRA has never been an impediment to regulation. If you look at the Obama administration, they issued about $890 billion in regulatory costs over its two terms. So it's not like OIRA was preventing a great deal of regulation back in those days. Um, I do think it's more of a signal to Congress that if this, that this administration intends to go it alone on issues like climate change and labor policy, if Congress is just willing to stay on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some, some things about OIRA's new powers here. How does this policy empower the OIRA director in a new, in a new way? It's a mouthful, yeah, well, in a way. Yeah, so it specifically directs OIRA to consider ways that they can play a more proactive role in partnering with agencies to explore, promote, and undertake regulatory initiatives, um, according to the memo, and especially those that are likely to yield significant benefits. So this strikes me as empowering the OIRA director to take on the role of regulatory advocate as opposed to regulatory reviewer. Why, why is this surprising? I think the most surprising thing to me was the timing of it. Uh, we certainly thought the Biden administration might seek to make some changes to OIRA, but they issued this on the first day. Um, so right out of the gate, they're saying, we are seeking to remake OIRA. And, you know, as we saw with the Trump administration reversing regulations from the Obama administration, and now the Biden administration starting to undo regulations from the Trump administration, doing these major changes through regulation is less permanent. And ultimately, this sort of regulatory ping pong, I think, is economically harmful because you're really preventing certainty from going forward, especially for businesses that are trying to operate. Mm. So it seems to me just, you know, some some things up that this is the avenue of the Biden administration is going to take to implement a lot of their priorities and things like that. Exactly. And I think what we should expect to see is the next time there's a Republican administration, a lot of these policies are going to be reversed straight out again. And so from a, an economic standpoint, you know, trying to balance that with, you know, operating your business without knowing that there's a general direction for the next few decades of regulatory policy in this country, I think is going to be challenging. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, going back to this a little bit, the biggest thing that seems like they've axed here is the regulatory budget. Do you think we'll ever see a regulatory budget again? I mean, you mentioned that it's that it, it was sort of uh, uh, misunderstood in a way. Um, so do you think that this, which was a popular idea with Republicans, we'd ever see with the Democratic administration? Yeah, I think the only way it would come back is in a Republican administration. Um, I think Democrats have, they've uh, criticized it for being focused primarily on regulatory costs. Um, and, you know, as we've established, you know, they're really looking at the benefits of regulation versus, you know, weighing those benefits versus the costs that they impose. I also think because it was associated with the Trump administration, it's basically toxic to Democrats. So I'd be very surprised if they ever 
um, even if they sort of re reformed it to account for benefits, I think um, they would just like to stay away from having the name regulatory budget associated with them. Gotcha. So it might be something we see in the future with re Republican administration, but maybe not in the same in the same uh, structure it is with a Democratic administration. Sure. We started talking about uh, the legacy of the Trump administration. That's the natural conversation that happens after a presidency. So let's look at some of the numbers. You and the rest of the regulatory team um, have a new piece out looking at the final regulatory numbers of the Trump administration. What did you find? So we found that the Trump administration issued a net total of $40 billion in regulatory costs over its term. And they also added more than 350 million hours annually of paperwork burden. Gotcha. So it's a bit surprised that they ended up uh, with a net positive in terms of regulatory costs. I mean, this was a huge you know, policy th uh, conversation that they were having. Does that mean that this administration failed in its goals of cutting costs? To me, it doesn't. I never actually expected them to end up in the net savings category. I think anyone who is who follows the federal government, just how they operate and how they're incentivized, especially when it comes to regulation, I think could not realistically expect net savings. Uh, but when you compare its average um, and the Trump administration's average of about $10 billion per year, as opposed to the $110 billion per year annually that we saw under the Obama administration, I think it's safe to say that the Trump administration's focus on reducing regulatory costs was a success. Now, if you took President Trump at his word that regulatory costs were going to go down, then I could see how you'd be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was like kind of a mixed bag, too, if I'm remembering. I mean, I'm trying to remember the numbers off the top of my head, but there were some agencies that did have a net savings and others that that didn't. I mean, there were there were some that did come under those uh, limits, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it all it basically just depended on the agency and the year. I mean, some agencies like we saw HHS was the biggest saver two of the three full years of the regulatory budget. And then this most recent full fiscal year, um, I think they were the second most costly. So it just kind of, you know, it just depended on what regulations came out and what years and what their statutory mandates were also under Congress. Gotcha. So what does that say about the regulatory budgets? Does them, you know, having an, in the aggregate, having a net positive mean the budget didn't work as a policy tool for them? Or is it? I'd say no, because the regulatory budget, if you only look at executive agencies, so if you exclude independent agencies, they actually ended up with net savings. But I think even more broadly, what you're doing is you're incentivizing agencies to reduce regulatory costs, especially new regulatory costs. So I think that is the real benefit of this policy tool. Whether or not you actually achieve the number that you're trying to hit, I think, is sort of irrelevant as long as the overarching goal of reducing regulatory costs is met. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that if you didn't count some of those independent agencies, uh, the administration would have been at a net negative. Are independent agencies a barrier to reducing uh, those regulatory burdens? I don't think it's fair to say that they are um, one way or another, you know, categorically. I think it's sort of a yes and no answer. We certainly saw some deregulatory policies from agencies like the Federal Communications Commission with its net neutrality rule and Securities Exchange Commission, you know, did some deregulatory things as well. I think it's just because independent agencies have less direct influence from the president, it's less likely that they'll be in lockstep with the administration's priorities. Gotcha. Okay, so final question for you. Looking at the big picture, what do you think will be the Trump era regulatory legacy? So I think by and large, it did a good job of limiting the growth of new regulation. 
I think it could have been a bigger success if it hadn't been for some policy areas where it actively pushed economically harmful regulation. You know, immigration comes to mind specifically. They were very regulatory on the immigration front. I think that kind of undermined some of the success that the regulatory budget could have achieved. Gotcha. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us today. Um, this is a good conversation, and we'll all be watching uh, Reg Rodeo for the future next four years to see what, what's going on. Great. Yeah. And I'm actually glad you mentioned that in our Week in Regs piece that comes out every week, as the name implies, we're going to be tracking how the Biden administration does versus the Trump administration and the Obama administrations from inauguration to that date. So that's definitely something I think people want to watch out for and see how things are going. Yeah. So everyone should go and uh, hit subscribe and get those weekly updates. Yeah, we'd appreciate it. Dan, thanks for joining us. Yep. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.